Audioversity, the voice of Reichman University. Imagine, for example, I can just uh, stop 1,000 cars on Friday 4 in the afternoon. Just when a, 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 a military operation with Gaza starts, and then Hamas is firing rockets on Israel. And now there are huge traffic jams yeah. because of that. That is making things much more difficult and much more interesting and much more dangerous. Actually, serious. Amazing conversations from Israel, all topics considered. With Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. Welcome to the Actually Serious podcast where we cover Israel's most interesting uh, with all topics considered and, of course, the incredible humans behind them as well. We're brought to you in partnership with Audioversity and No Camels, the leading site for Israel innovation news. And, of course, before we get into it, remember to subscribe to the podcast on Audioversity, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, social media, and YouTube at Aaron Porras. Like, comment, and hit the notification bell as well while you're at it so you can be sure to hear about any new content that comes out. Now, I'm Aaron Porras, and our topic today is the increasingly important and fascinating challenge of cybersecurity. And joining me to discuss is Ram Levy, founder and CEO of Israeli cybersecurity company Confidas, which largely works with medical and healthcare networks, but also with governments and police forces around the world. And we're going to get into all of those awesome, ridiculous topics. Absolutely. There's so much on this topic to, to talk about. Ram, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling very good. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about it. It's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, let's start with a little bit about the largest challenges in cybersecurity today. Because, I mean, you know, we have really, I think, a lot of different angles of cybersecurity. There's obviously defense and there's attack, but then there's also like maintenance of, of random networks and and there are all these little, I don't know, spindles on the web, you could say, uh, that erupt from cybersecurity. So what, what, what do you work with primarily? Well, uh, what we do at Confidas is uh, uh, we actually do three things. One is we help uh, companies, uh, large enterprises, uh, prepare for a cyber crisis. And the reason why they need to prepare is because a cyber crisis is a crisis that usually catches you when you're not ready. And it takes a very long time to recover, much longer than people actually realize. Um, the average recovery time is between 14 and 30 days, uh, which is a lot of time for any type of yeah. organization. I mean, if you're a major, if you're a major company, that's like death. Um, that's it's pretty bad. I wouldn't say death, but we can go. The the, the, the there are some myths around 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 crises. There are some companies that died, but actually most of them recover quite well. Okay. It just takes a lot of time. It costs a lot of money. Uh, it's emotionally hard because um, the thing that you care about the most uh, is now not functioning and you don't really understand why. It's complex. And we help companies prepare for this situation in very different ways um, from pharmaceutical companies, uh, healthcare, hospitals, banks, insurance companies, you name it. Uh, the second thing that we do is we actually deal with crises. So if a company is attacked, we're like the fire department of cybersecurity. They call us and we bring whoever we need, or actually whoever they need, in order to recover as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's our job. Uh, quickly as possible, minimum losses, uh, minimum churn, loss of clients, 
uh, improve the reputation, deal with legal risks, because there are always legal risks when it comes to cybersecurity, or almost always, right. uh, and help them recover as quickly as possible. And the third thing that we do, uh, a couple of years ago, you asked me about what is the biggest challenge. Yeah. Uh, we figure that um, big companies, rich companies, uh, regulated companies, they invest in cybersecurity. They actually do a pretty good job. Um, but they're like a very small percentage of the companies worldwide um, in total. And then there's all the rest, all the small businesses. Those businesses who are part of the supply chain of governments, militaries, banks, institutions, and you need to protect them because the big companies are requiring the small ones are working with them to invest in cybersecurity. The regulation is the same for everyone, right. but they don't have the resources to do that. So we establish a managed service that does exactly that, helps small to medium companies secure themselves as a service. Well, and it, it, se- it would seem to me that the small companies are the, they're the back door, really, for a hacking group, a, a bad actor to, to get in. Like uh, they're, the weak, they're the weak chain in the link, or they're the weak link in the chain. Well, this, this, uh, this, this chain actually has many weak links. They're not the weakest links, but they're one of the weak links. It depends. It, it actually depends what the attackers want. Mm. And that's something that we need to discuss because um, attackers may want to use small companies to get into the big ones. Attackers may want to attack mm-hmm. small companies because they're, easy, they're just very easy fish to catch. Uh, attackers may want them because they're actually the target. It depends. It depends very much on the motivation of the attackers, but... Uh, from a security perspective, they're less likely to be properly secured. That's why they're easy targets. And that's why they have to invest in cybersecurity. And if we want to raise the overall level of security and resilience of a specific market, this is where we need to do to put our investments. So speaking of investment, though, I mean, we have a, a, a No Camels report that I read recently that was interviewing an, another Israeli company called Perception Point. And they outlined how the average company spends at least $1,200 per employee every year on protecting you know, points of entry in, in terms of cybersecurity against their company. Is that, is that accurate, would you say? Is that the only cost that, that these companies are incurring? If, if, you know, how, how prohibitively expensive is it to make sure that you're on top of your game because the small business is not necessarily financially equipped to be as cyber secure as the major ones. Uh, I agree. I- I'm not sure about this figure. It sounds to me a little high. Really? Yeah. What I can tell you is that uh, the challenges are not only um, money, but they're in other places. And I'll name two or three of them. Uh, first, you need expertise. If you want to right. do cybersecurity, you need someone that knows cybersecurity to do proper cybersecurity in your organization. And the, and the first problem that we have is we have, a sh- we have shortage of skilled people all over the world. Mm. I'm talking about millions. Because every company needs someone, maybe for one day, maybe for two days, maybe, maybe full time, to, uh, routinely do, to, to, to routinely do cybersecurity and keep your network, I would say, uh, in, in, in a proper state. I always say to my clients, you should imagine cybersecurity is like cleaning your house. You don't clean it once a year. You clean it every week, and you organize it every day. That's exactly uh, what we should do in cybersecurity. Because if it's a mess, 
actually, if it's a mess, then we don't know what we need to protect. And if we don't know what we need right. to protect, then what, are, what exactly are we going to protect? And that's exactly what hackers are looking for. They're looking for this mess. They're looking for the disorganized exactly. company. Second thing is that you need a variety of tools to install and to install, deploy, and manage. Now, it goes back to the people who are managing those tools. But then you need about, small company would need about 10, 15 different tools. One tool to protect the email, one tool to protect the network, and one tool to do awareness, one to, tool to protect the endpoint. So you need about 10 to 15 different tools. So you have to learn them and master them and know how to do it properly. In a large company, let's say a 5,000 uh, employee company, it would be about 80 different tools that they all have to work in harmony. And that, I mean, that's not cheap. That's what I mean. So how does the small company defend itself? Well, uh, I, I think that... Uh, what small companies need to realize is that it's actually not as complex as we're trying to make it. Right. Because a lot of the things are actually quite straightforward. I'll give you an example. Everybody in the business, when I say everybody, I mean we know, we as cybersecurity people know, that hackers are usually doing one of three things. Either they will try to find uh, an unpatched or unupdated software that is exposed to the internet. Mm -hmm. So the answer to that will be constantly update your software. But people don't update software for many reasons. And one of them is laziness. They're just lazy. They don't I mean, want to turn do on it. the auto update. For, I always say that my mom, yeah, but, but, then you have to, but then you have to approve the restart. Oh, sure. And people don't do it because my mom says, I don't want the tabs in my Explorer to get closed. Which it won't even close. It usually saves them. It caches them, usually. Yeah, exactly. And, and people think that updating their iPhone would make it slower because that Apple is doing it on purpose. Of course, it's not true. But, uh, <laughs> but that's what people planned think. Planned obsolescence. Exactly. But that's what people think. But, and no, I mean, that's, that's a thing. I mean, Apple, Apple, I think, since you brought them up, I think we're even sued a couple times. Yeah, I'm not sure they're doing it on purpose. It's just when you when you install a new software, a new update, it requires more resources from, right. from the computer because it does more things. And those things uh, require more resources from the processor or from or from the from the device, and that makes it slower. They don't do they don't do it on purpose. They, right. they want to give you more, but this more will cost will, will need more resources. Mm. What I'm trying to say is that if you don't if you don't update your softwares, then you're vulnerable. That's a very simple equation. Sure. So the first thing that companies need to do, small ones, is constantly, routinely update your softwares, and, and most of them don't do it. The second thing is uh, what we call um, uh, password hygiene. Many people don't do, they don't apply multi-factor authentication. Mm. And hackers are looking exactly for that. Why do you think that they're sending you phishing emails? Because they make you believe that they're, for example, Facebook, and then you log in, and once you log in, they'll, you will actually log in through them and then they have your username and password. If you have multi-factor authentication, that means that after you put your username and password, you get an SMS. That means that even if they get their, use, they get their username and password, your username and password, they, can't they would in. still need the SMS. And that makes it much harder. Microsoft, by the way, showed that it actually reduces the chances for successful phishing attack by 99.99999%. Oh, wow. That's massive. Exactly. Right. That, I mean, that's... That's ostensibly completely. Exactly. Now, <laughs> right. those are the facts. Now, I'm saying if those are the facts, why don't people do that? Because it takes us, because it exactly. takes time. It takes time. So I don't want to deal with the, I mean, I do it. I have multi-factor hackers out there. If you're listening, <laughs> I have multi-factor authentication. I, I'll check that after, after the please, conversation. Please do. So that's the second thing. 
the, the third thing is use some kind of a security software on your endpoint and servers, but routinely check the alerts coming from the software and make sure that's updated as well because the way that security softwares work, some of them work based on behavior, behavioral analysis of the endpoint, but a lot of them are working based on uh, uh, knowledge that is constantly updated. For example, if we find a malware in one attack, mm-hmm. then the company will take the identifiers of this attack sure. and we'll put it in the, in the, in, in the anti-vi- antivirus software. What it means is that we actually do collective, collective security. If you attack, if you attack, then your you report it, and then everybody else your knows knowledge, what your to do. information helps me to be better protected. Sure. That's how we vaccinate our uh, cybersecurity. So, I, so when you you know when you get these messages from from Facebook, from Google, from Apple, whatever it is, and they're saying you know hey, can we get automatic reports from your device to improve our security? Should you opt into that? Because I think, you know, I myself am a bit skeptical. Like, oh, I don't want to be tracked or whatever it is. But maybe, but maybe I, you know, I'm, maybe I'm the unvaccinated guy in the group now. Well, you're taking me to the, the conversation about privacy. Right. <laughs> I'm, we, can, we can come back to that if you well, want. Well, I can speak about privacy, but I think that our worry about privacy is both overrated and hypocritical. Yeah, because we volunteer everything. We voluntarily mostly. gave everything to get right. services, and then we complain that we don't have privacy. And then we worry about Google, who is actually very well, uh, has a very well privacy, Google or the big companies who have very, they have very good, uh, I would say, privacy governance and scrutiny and auditing Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And we still worry about them. But we don't worry about, let's say, dating apps. So so I'll say I don't worry so much about Google, but I do, I mean, with Facebook, because also they were also uh, sued, I believe, recently for for giving for selling data to to data brokers and who knows who else. Um, And and that's really what I, you know, when I think about my privacy or the lack thereof with high tech and with services, it's I don't and I and I obviously I can't speak for everybody, but I, I think that this is the issue is that. I don't mind giving you whatever information about me that is necessary for the service to be uh, completed and enhanced. But the second you sell it to some randomer and I don't know his scruples, that's a problem. I, I, I agree, by the way. And, and the Europeans agree with you even more. And how do I know that? Because in 2018, they said that's enough. And they issued a new uh, regulation called the GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. Hmm. And what they generally, generally speaking, said is that uh, in the modern era, in a digital era, in a digital economy, the personal data, they don't call it private data, the personal data belongs to you. It doesn't belong to Facebook. It Even if you're sharing it with them. It belongs, exactly. You give it to them and you have rights on, you have rights regarding this data. For example, you have the right to be forgotten. So they have to delete your data if you decide. You have the right to know which data they have on you. You have the right to know what they're doing with the data and not in legal terms. If you remember in the last three or four years ago before COVID, we started getting all yeah. those uh, emails uh, asking uh, companies asking you to approve their new uh, privacy policy. Mm-hmm. That's exactly that. And all of a sudden it became readable. You can now read the, uh, the data protection uh, policy of almost every company in the world. Why? Because they have to, because the, the European regulation requires them to do that. So now you have more transparency. You can actually ask them now to give you back the data that you gave them. 
It's not all of it. Even if you're not based in Europe, though? Generally speaking, yes. So if, I, if I'm American, I live in America, yeah. I operate in America, I have nothing to do with Europe, I can still ask a company as long as that company is operating in Europe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They don't have to if you're not European, but they'll give it to you because it's. I think it's a one-size-fits-all uh, privacy. Uh, America privacy doesn't governance. have any, any equivalent to this? Uh, not yet. Actually, in, in different states, they do. For example, California is very advanced. Actually, Israel just approved the new uh, changes to the privacy laws, which are going a little bit behind Europe. Uh, so they're going to give those rights to Israeli citizens. But that's a, very, that's a very important and big change because it requires company to be much more vigilant in the way that they're, mm. uh, they're, that they're managing our data, which belongs to us. Wow. And if they, uh, if they misuse it, if they don't protect it properly, if they uh, don't tell you what they're doing with it, then they are, uh, they then they get they might get fined, and the oh. fines are very high. They can go up to f I think forty million, twenty million euros, or four percent of the annual per person. Or is that like you know it quickly becomes a class? Per, it it might be you know it's a fine. It's not a class action. It's a fine from the regulator. Oh wow! So the Gosh. regulator can now impose a fine, and, and companies are actually very afraid about it. But I also think that. The people working in those companies, they're citizens as well. Yeah. They understand that it's actually the right thing to do. So that kind of changed the relationship between us and the big corporations and the way that they're managing our data. And I think that's very good. Um, but then again, uh, we don't want to put too much regulations and too much, no. uh, and, and we don't want to make the, you know, uh, we don't want to make it uh, too difficult for companies to operate. Yeah, because we want the service to work. Be exactly. Still. Because, right. You know, we had an issue in Israel. We had an Iranian attack against the... Against Technion. The, no, I, we had an Iranian attack against <laughs> the Technion, which, by the way, which one of which, this was one of the first attacks in Israel that was actually attributed by the Israeli government to Iran, which is... Yeah. I, I, That's I, news right there. Just I, to, I think it's historical because... I'm saying that this is this is the role of the government. I'm telling the government that I think that they should attribute much more, and we can go into that. But that's not the the interesting thing was that a couple of years ago there was an attack against a company that was uh, hosting uh, a a dating app for the um, uh, LG, LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. and the Iranians took all the data from the company and released it online. So they just that, outed a bunch of people. Now that was big. Yeah, people who have AIDS, who they're dating, people who are homosexual, and nobody knew about it. That was really big. And when I spoke to f my friends from the, my community, I was like, "Are you aware that you know all your data is out there?" It's like, "I don't care. I want this app to be on tonight because I I want to date." <laughs> and now the app is not working anymore. So what I'm saying is uh, exactly people care more about the service than than the data. Right. Um. And we need to teach them to be more aware and care about the data. Uh, but that will take time. All right. So, I, I mean, we started, I think we got off track. There was one more thing I think that you were talking about in terms of things that people can do that was obviously turn on the multi-factor authentication. Uh, secure, you talked about keeping updated. Yeah, secure, secure the computers mm -hmm. and make sure that you have a proper backup and check the backup every once in a while. Check the backup. Yeah. Have you tried to restore your phone from backup? It never works. I haven't. I haven't recently. No. <laughs> uh, and when it does work, it actually takes three times more than you expect. Now, if you take this issue and 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 kind of see what happens in an organization when they have to do it, yeah, and they and have... they never tried it, 
that might hundreds be an issue. Hundreds of terabytes and God knows what of data. Yeah, yeah, because because that if they haven't tried it, then you can have what we call a false sense of security. You think that you have the right security uh, protocols in place. Mm. You haven't tried them. You haven't tested them. You're not uh, checking them on a regular basis. And then when something happens, you're even more surprised because you're sure that you uh, that you have everything in place. Wow. Yeah. Now I I, I keep up uh, on your uh, on your newsletter, and I and I see recently that you the talked the best one in Israel. The best <laughs> one in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Check out Confidas. Uh, <laughs> But you talked about keeping up to date on certain programs as well, and I have a, I have the list here of the programs that you are listing as the most critical right now. Um, I was surprised actually because you just mentioned how secure Google is, but Google Chrome apparently is on this list. GitLab product, and then more critical, uh, Zixel, Illumina, and Apache Spark. What what are these? Like, what do they do? And you know how how widespread is this uh, is this issue? Is is the average Joe at risk, or is this really just like a company thing that they need to watch out for? Uh, it's actually a big issue, and I'll explain why. Uh, what we're saying this is uh, this is Article Five in the uh, in our weekly report. Mm-hmm. We are updating the the general public on the new vulnerabilities. A vulnerability is a bug in a software. It can be yeah. Microsoft Windows, something that can be exploited Pro, by a hacker. A bug, yeah. a bug uh, that has a security issue that you have to fix. Uh, every bug uh, or what we call vulnerability is getting a, a grade from uh, bo- zero to ten, and the higher it is, the more dangerous the vulnerability. For example, if you have a vulnerability which is uh, graded nine point eight critical, then what it means is that uh, a potential hacker can uh, remotely take over the endpoint that the software is installed without you knowing. Mm. So what we're telling the general public every week, and and first of all ourselves is that those are the uh, softwares or operating systems that you have to uh, update this week. Like, yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, is that this, this, is, this is the issue that we spoke about before. There are about 17,000 new vulnerabilities every year. Again, 17,000 new vulnerabilities every year. So, I mean, yes, but Just that think, by uh, day, that's like, I, don't even, I can't even do that. You have on your terrible. computer about 100 <laughs> programs. There's yeah, a very easily. big chance that every week there's at least one or two programs that uh, someone found a vulnerability. Now, this once the vulnerability is found, someone will take advantage of the vulnerability, meaning they will build an attack that is crafted based on this vulnerability, or it might have been a zero day. What does it mean? It means that attackers found the vulnerability before the vendor has found it. Wow. So they're using it. Are there like communities of hackers that are sharing these exploits to like widespread? How do they know? Actually, I do. There are actually researchers. Some researchers are good and some are bad. The good ones are actually finding vulnerabilities for companies. And the big companies, they have what we call a bug bounty. So you can report this vulnerability. And they pay you. And they pay you actually a lot of money. The more severe the vulnerability, the the higher you get paid. I'm talking about $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 per bug. Mm -hmm. Now... There are they're actually the bad ones, the criminals, who are uh, doing the same thing, doing the really, same thing yeah. because they want to attack. Right. And a zero-day means, zero-day vulnerability means that, let's say, they found a zero-day in Microsoft Windows. It means that the attackers, they know about this bug and Microsoft doesn't. So there's no security against that. There's mm-hmm. no patching against that. That means that they get a free entrance to your computer and you don't even know that. And And so... 
that's that's what that's another case and then there's those people who are actually searching for vulnerabilities researching for them and once they find them they actually sell them they sell them online they can yeah. go up to half a million dollars per vulnerability that's a lot of money so i mean you you'd assume or at least i would that these companies and these white hat hackers are also trying to get into these communities in order to report absolutely there there's a constant race between the hackers and defenders and one of the things that defenders should do is actually collect intelligence right. we need to know who's who's talking about us who's, if i'm a vendor mm-hmm. if i'm facebook for example yeah. who's talking about facebook who's who found a new vulnerability and 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 mitigate that as soon as i find something that's relevant to my to my product wow and by the way in if you look at banking regulation they're actually expected to do that by regulation. The regular tells them that they have to do intelligence. That they need to do it. Wow. So they are a cyber intelligence company doing exactly that. I want to ask, like, how has AI and machine learning expanded the, the vulnerabilities? Like, can an average Joe prompt an AI like ChatGPT or Bard into creating a worm or some type of malicious software? I'm not sure. Um... There are usage of, uh, of, of those AI engines to uh, produce new, to craft new attacks. Right. Um, some of them will actually find you new, uh, new, new ways of attacking or new bugs, or they will craft phishing emails for you. <laughs> there are, but I'm not sure how advanced that is until now. And I'm also not sure that the average Joe can do it because. Okay. Uh, those engines are very good if you understand what you're asking and you understand the, the answer that yeah, you get. Yeah, you need to prompt it right. And you also need to read the answers because sometimes the, the, uh, those, AI, those AI services, they just lie to you. But right. they give you this feeling that they're telling the truth. So if you don't know that they're lying, you actually believe them. I asked them, for example, to list all the nation-state attacks against Israel. The amount of bullshit I got there was Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, so you you need to understand the, the answer and read it properly. What what about are how many viruses or you know malicious softwares have you come across that have an AI or machining lear, machine learning element built into them so that they say evolve or even escalate their attack on their own? I haven't seen any, but the, it doesn't mean that there aren't. But I have seen a lot of security softwares and products for defense. Right. That have AI built into them. For example, uh, the behavioral analysis uh, uh, mechanisms in the endpoint protection softwares, they have AI already built in because they have to analyze the behavior and tell it that something is wrong. Uh, th- uh, Google has just uh, uh, implemented sort of a chat GPT into security. They call it Copilot. Okay. So they actually take all the data and then you can start asking questions about the, about the data because... To do proper security, you need to collect a lot of data and analyze the data and see if something is wrong. For example, I know that Aaron comes to work from Sunday until Thursday and he works from 8 until 5. And if now Aaron, is logged, if Aaron logs in at 2 a.m. On, on a Friday night, something might be wrong. Okay. And, and, and that's a very simple answer. We, sure. But it can get more, much more complex. And so uh, Microsoft has now... Uh, uh, introduced, they call Copilot, and you can actually ask a lot of 
very complex questions based on the network and security data that you collect in the security and, uh, and, the, and the other devices on your network. So it's going, that, it's going in that direction. When is it going to get matured? I don't know. Hmm. All right. Now you also spoke a bit. I want to talk a little bit more about Confidas's work specifically. And you mentioned, obviously, Iran. And I think Israel also very recently talked about how Iran was, you know, no surprise there, uh, basically the biggest sponsor of cyber warfare that they know of currently. Uh, working against Israel. Working against Israel. Okay, yeah. so what is like? What is the typical methodology of some of these groups, and you know, who are they targeting, and is it working? Uh, and, you know, because I know that you said that you work more often with healthcare, for example, against ransomware attacks and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, well, Iran is actually doing a few things. Uh, they're uh, they're attacking like every like every country. Um, they're attacking for the purpose of intelligence. They want to collect intelligence. They want to know what, uh, what we're doing, what our plans are, mm -hmm. what the academic community is thinking. And they are actually quite sophisticated when it comes to intelligence uh, because they're good at it. And we saw, and we actually saw and blocked some Iranian uh, spy atta sp spying attacks. When you say we, you mean like Israel or no, Confidas? No, Confidas. Confidas. Uh, okay. We are a company. Um, I would say that they were not the most sophisticated attacks I've ever seen, but they're actually quite good. For example, they would, uh, they would uh, uh, look for an NGO. Uh, um, they would search for uh, a, a, an expert within the NGO who's not very superior, who's not very uh, highly ranked within the organization, but is, he's an expert. And then they would pretend to be a retired general from the Israeli intelligence asking him for advice about something. Oh, man. Now, when you look at the emails that he's receiving, it actually looks quite good and quite flattering. Sure. So he's answering. And by answering, he's actually giving them his own opinion about things. And they're doing, and they're doing that with, uh, with, many, with many people. Uh, it's not the kind of scam I was expecting. Exactly. Uh, so one type of attack is for intelligence, and they do a lot of intelligence in Israel. We don't know about most of them. I think it's in the interest of most of both sides that we will not know about it. Um, and it that would not stop. In fact, uh, intellig collecting intelligence and spying is actually on the legal side of of cybersecurity. Everybody knows that it's allowed to spy. So uh, hacking for the purpose of spying, I, I think it's not, it's not good, but it's also not good. On behalf of a government and state actor or even individuals and independent companies? No, no, I'm talking about the Iranian government, the IRGC, the, the Iranian... Right. Uh, uh, so, so, that's what I'm, so that's what I'm asking. It's legal for a state actor to, to yeah. sponsor cyber threats and, and cyber intelligence? What about for the individuals? No, no, for the individual, it's not allowed. Not allowed. No, 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 it's not allowed. Hacking back and hacking is not, is not allowed. It's against the law in most right. countries. I think in all countries, but it's not allowed. But, sure. But the fact that uh, uh, countries have uh, cyber units collecting intelligence by attacking other, other, other countries or other organizations, that's something that is accepted. I mean, I would, I would not expect otherwise. Yeah. Makes the sense. other yeah. things that the Iranians are doing, they're attacking Israel for... Um, I would say, uh, inf uh, information operations. They want to influence the perception of the public. So uh, they mm. would, for example, uh, if, if, are, if there's uprising in Israel, then they would set up bots. 
that are actually supporting uh, one end or the other. Or they both. Will <laughs> or both. They will try to uh, encourage chaos. Right. Uh, they will try to influence the Israeli elections by supporting one party or not supporting the other one. Um, they are trying to... Um, uh, they are trying to support, of course, the Palestinian narrative, but also uh, discourage the Israeli narrative all over the world, not only in Israel. So, and and their information operations, I would say, they're okay, not the best I've seen. Um, but then, who's the best, Russia or China? I believe America. Russia is very good. Russia, is, I mean, 2016. Exactly. I mean, they have done what we all think about doing. They have done it, and they're actually quite successful. It's actually quite interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, as a case study, yeah. And they're very good. It's yeah. also terrifying. Yeah. But as a case study, it's fascinating. I agree. I agree. And so that's one thing that they're doing. And they're also hacking uh, Israeli companies, and they're just doing uh, what, I ca- what I'm saying. They're just uh, uh, attacks for, to annoy you. So uh, one of the... <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why I find that so funny. It's just like... <laughs> It is like the the digital flaming turd on your front porch. Yeah, yeah. It's like so. What they're doing is we we, we dealt with one uh, one attack against uh, uh, one of Israel's insurance companies. Here, but everybody knows about it. So they hacked the company and they just deleted the computers and they stole some information. And they and the company was not working for like thirty days or partially working for like thirty days. And then you ask us at the end of the at the end of the attack, I was like, why did they do it? What did they gain from doing it other than us getting better and improving the way that we do security and learning how to... It's a finger in the eye. That's, that's all. Yeah. Yes, but uh, you know, from, from my perspective, it just doesn't seem to be uh, so fruitful. And it doesn't seem to be sophisticated. But they're doing it a lot. There are like hundreds of companies in Israel attacked by Iran for destructive purposes. Well, so, what, so that's it. What, what if it's a distraction to begin with? What if it's to, to, you know, it's sleight of hand, digital sleight of hand, to make you look one way while they're doing something else? Well, that might be the answer, but then uh, we would expect something else to happen, but it doesn't happen. That you know of. Yeah, but another <laughs> thing that they've done, by the way, they're they are now going into more uh, cyber-physical attacks, and that's becoming interesting. Oh, For like example, attacking infrastructure? No, no, yeah. But one example, there was, a, there was a terror attack in Jerusalem a couple of months ago. Yeah. So they hacked the CCTVs, looking at the area where the attack was, the terror attack was. And a couple of hours after the attack, they just released the videos from the CCTV and it's like, look, this is what happened. Now that's becoming interesting because that's amplifying something that's ha- happening in reality. The other way around is they're attacking uh, 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 cyber assets, for example, uh, computers controlling watering systems. Yeah, that's the infrastructure and I was thinking and about. And they're disabling them. And that, that is causing physical physical damage. Now, if there's something I'm afraid of, I'm not afraid of, of other attacks. Ransomware and all that. But shutting down the not, power grid or the water supply is pretty bad. Exactly. Yeah. Now, when everything is connected, you can create a lot of trouble. People could be injured. People can die. Uh, and I think that we don't have the, not, not, not only we in Israel, all over the world, we haven't gained, gained enough experience to deal with a massive terror attack that the origin of that is cyber. Mm. Imagine, for example, I can just uh, stop 1,000 cars on Friday 4 in the afternoon 
just when a, 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 a military operation with Gaza starts, and then Hamas is firing rockets on Israel. And now there are huge traffic jams yeah. because of that. That is making things much more difficult and much more interesting and much more dangerous. What's the solution to something like that? Is it, is it localized grids that have multiple redundancies? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Like, is, is, it, is it to have a, a multiple redundancies and localized networks to the degree where if one system is attacked, it kind of shuts down and it doesn't spread? Or is that even a possibility? Uh, how, how would that work? This, is go- this goes back to, to my, cri- my, my criticism against the, not only the Israeli government, but most governments. I think that the, the solution begins with awareness. I don't like the word towards you as awareness and education because I think most of the time it's just running away from the problem. But I think that the, the general public and the decision makers are just not aware of the magnitude, the potential magnitude of the problem. Now, if we're not telling them mm-hmm. constantly who's attacking, why they're attacking, how they're attacking, they will just not realize where this is going. So when I told you that my criticism towards the Israeli government and other governments around the world, that they're not attributing enough attacks, what I'm trying to say is that they're not telling the general public that Iran is actually attacking all the time in Israel. They're hinting, they're, uh, you know, kind of, they're winking, they are, uh, you know, giving you the impression that, but that's not enough. Right. Because people need to know what the real risk is in Israel. And they're just not telling us. We know because, you know, we are in the business for 20, 25 years. We have the knowledge. We have the expertise. We've seen it all. But the average CEO, he doesn't know. And if you don't tell them that there is a risk that is actually intensifying over time, and those are the groups, and that's the way they work, and you don't expose them, then you cannot build on the awareness of the problem. Right. That's, and, and, and if you don't build on the awareness of the problem... The second thing that you cannot do, you cannot, you cannot do any type of law enforcement. Because if you don't know who's attacking you, who exactly are you going to punish? <sighs> so there is no law enforcement. In well, what's security. the jurisdictional issue as well? If, if it's a foreign state actor. The jurisdiction is a second problem. The first problem is that who, who law enforcement <laughs> agencies are, are almost absent from cybersecurity. The only ones that are actually taking this seriously are the Americans. Really? Israel because, doesn't take this seriously? No. How many people in Israel are in jail because of cyber attacks? Or how many, oh, people, how many people does Israel wants, wants to bring to court to Israel, even if they can't, because of a cyber attack against Israeli infrastructure? How many times Israel retaliated, yeah, punished someone, a threat actor, because of a cyber attack? Would we, we, know, would we know? That's what I'm saying. Would we even know? Because Israel, Israel plays things fairly close to the vest on these matters. I think that that's... That's why I think that uh, in cybersecurity, we need, we need to think differently. It's time to, uh, to uh, stop thinking that everything can be done covertly. Why? Because most of the infrastructure, most of the knowledge, most of the tools, most of everything is actually in, in the hands of private entities. We are the targets, you and I, not militaries. In cybersecurity, the targets are people and companies in, in the home front. Unlike uh, military uh, uh, operations where the targets are also the, the home front, but it's also the military itself, the Air Force and the soldiers. Here, we are the targets. So you got to tell us who's attacking us so we know how to better protect ourselves. 
Well, and then again, it, it comes you back see, to that issue of, of okay. as a private individual, you said, okay, two-factor fa- two authentication, keep your data updated. But like, if it's you're a small technical. business... It's too technical. That's what I'm saying. If you're a small business, how do you how do you really protect yourself to begin with? Even if you knew... Even if I know as a small business owner that Iran is is attacking businesses like mine, if, if I'm a two-person business... I might not have the wherewithal or the funds to deal with it. Well, uh, you know, every government has what we call policy tools. They, they have different ways they can apply in order to advance a policy. And in our case, the, if the policy that we want to advance is a more resilient society, there are things that the, the government can do. You know, I, I was a secretary for the Prime Minister's National Cyber Task Force, so I know what policy tools we can and cannot apply, or at least we, we, mm-hmm. we, we should apply. So one thing a government can do, they can spend a lot of money on awareness. For example, when I was young, uh, everybody in Israel knew that we're, now to, we're not allowed to, uh, um, uh, uh, we're not allowed to, uh, uh, to take wildflowers. We're not allowed to pick wildflowers? We're not allowed to pick wildflowers. Everybody, every child in Israel knows that. We were educated about it. There were TV advertisements. We had posters in school. (laughs) You see, because you didn't grow up in Israel. (laughs) If you catch every Israeli person, they will tell you that we are not not allowed to pick wildflowers. Everybody knows that. Uh, Everybody in Israel knows that uh, there was a dog called Dobby Doberman. And he taught us as children because there was the commercials on television, that before we cross the street, we have to look left and right. Hmm. We, we, we learned from this dog. I grew up with Scruff McGruff. Exactly. <laughs> and we also learned that if we see a suspicious, something suspicious on the street, we're not allowed to get don't, close. Don't touch and we it. have to call the police. Yeah. So why don't we do the same thing in I mean, you have, that, you have that on the buses too. Like if you see a suspicious exactly. package, get now, away. Now, what I'm saying, that's exactly what we need to do in order to raise the public's awareness. First thing, tell them what to do or what not to do and who to report. The second thing is that you have to start attributing, telling the general public and the people who need to know who is attacking, why they're attacking, how they're attacking, and what are they expected to do. Now, all they're telling us, they're telling us there are some technical issues and this and this software, Mm. and someone is using that in order to attack, so you need to do A, B, and C. Yeah, it's too vague. It's too vague. And, and if CEOs and leaders of, of enterprise, they do not understand that, they, then, they cannot instruct the technical people to do it. And every time they'll, when there's a conflict between uh, technical things and business things, the business will almost always win unless you understand the risk. That's why understanding the risk is so critical. That's why attributing is so critical. And when attributing... We'll start. We will start seeing a lot more demand for enforcement. So, are you are you seeing are you seeing a turn in that direction at least? Because I again, I you know, quoting even just your uh, your newsletter, the the uh, anonymous Sudan versus uh, Israeli radio and the Knesset and things like that. These are this is public now. Yeah, but who is anonymous Sudan? Yeah, I don't know. I would expect a government to tell the public. Who is constantly attacking Israel in the last two or three months? Constantly attacking Israel. Now, we know who's anonymous Sudan because we read a lot of material and we're experts. So that's and Sudan in the name. Is that are they from Sudan? Well, actually, no one really knows. <laughs> and now, and now, there's uh, there are hints that the Russians are behind anonymous Sudan. Makes sense. That makes sense, and that makes it even more, even interesting. But I would I would expect 
the Israeli government to tell us, look, this is who Anonymous Sudan is. You should be aware of, 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 of the way that they're attacking, and this is the way uh, in order to, um, to uh, reduce, reduce, the, reduce the risk. But they're not telling us. Hmm. So if they're not telling... Do you think they know? I think that if they know, they should tell. And okay. I think that if they don't know, they should know. And, and if, they, uh, if they will invest enough money in intelligence, they will find out. That's what governments can do. So they, you do believe that it's a simple enough matter to uncover the identities behind these, behind these actors? Actually, I think it's very difficult. It's very but difficult, I, okay. Yeah, but uh, you know, governments do difficult things. Sure. It's difficult. But Fair. also, developing Iron Dome is difficult. Right. And uh, you know, creating, uh, creating infrastructure for roads is... Uh, you know, things are difficult in life. I didn't say it's easy. Right. I'm, saying this, I'm saying it should be done. Uh, the American administration, by the way, is doing it almost on a, on a weekly basis. They constantly uncover uh, attack groups, constantly. Just mm-hmm. this week, they, they uncovered a 20-year-long a, a uh, uh, cyber, cyber operation for spying that has been done by the Russian government in 50 countries. Wow. It's a 48-page report uncovering almost every technical detail that you can imagine. And they're telling you, this is done by the FSB. Wow. That's what I'm expecting every government in the world to do. You want to re- you wanna, you wanna, you wanna create a more resilient market? You should start attributing. You should bring people to trial. You should start punishing them and not punish the victims. Regulation and fines is punishing the victims. But they're not the ones to be punished. Well, I mean, they're not the only ones to be punished. Right now, we're only punishing victims. Wow, that's awful. Think about it. I mean... It's backwards. I mean, honestly. Thousands of companies around the yeah. world were, are hit. And we're taking them to Gosh. trial and finding them. For what? And who are we protecting? The criminals. And, yeah. that's, and, and if you take it one step forward, if we won't start doing it, the problem will not go away because we have created a situation where we have now a risk-free crime. It's the perfect crime. You make a lot of money... Almost no law enforcement. Um, uh, people, you know, they forget about it after a, couple of, after a couple of weeks. It's a perfect crime. Why not continue? And the problem that if they will continue, at some point people will die from it. Oh, man. All right. I think we're gonna we're gonna end it on this harsh point here. Yeah, let's tell a joke or something. Let's you know? tell a joke. Uh, oh, wow. You know, now I'm blanking out on all my jokes. It's, isn't that the worst? Well, you know, the good thing is that you can just unplug the computer and everything goes back to normal. <laughs> exactly. Just have you tried restarting your computer? Exactly. Turning restart it off and on again? Turn it off, go to the beach. Turn, have you tried turning it off and on again? That's, uh, that's from, you know, do you, you ever watch the IT crowd? No. Oh, that's a show I think you'd really like. It's an old, uh, old sitcom from, from the UK. Uh, it takes place in, like, you know, some weird company. What they do is unclear. But uh, but the main characters, they all work in the basement in the IT department. <laughs> and it's like, you know, one of the characters, he just, that's all he does. He, he, at one point, he even creates an, auto, an automated voice messaging system that when they get a call to the office, the first thing it says, have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> first thing they say. It usually works. <laughs> it usually works. All right. Ram Levy, thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. It's This was so much fun. I'm Aaron Porras. And for more actually serious topics, remember, again, to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast on Audioversity, YouTube at Aaron Porras, 
all major podcast platforms and social media. We love you. See you next time. Actually, serious. Amazing conversations from Israel, all topics considered, with Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity 